You may be seated. I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 9. We have a very short passage here that we'll look at this afternoon, but just um, really one kind of main idea that I want us to consider. Luke chapter 9, verses 7 through 9. You'll recall Jesus has, has sent out, at the beginning of this chapter, sent out the 12 apostles. Um, and before recording their return back to Jesus from their mission, Luke informs us about this important development in verses 7 through 9. What we see is, is God's orchestrating uh, the news about Jesus, and, and that news is beginning to pique the interest of religious leaders. Specifically, of course, here it's mentioned Herod. Uh, but we know if Herod's learning about it, then others are beginning to know about this Jesus who's performing miracles and going around from city to city proclaiming um, the kingdom of God has come and, and working miracles and healings and exercising demons. So there's this growing interest, as, and there's also a popularity among the, the people as they are witnessing these miracles. There's a greater following, greater number of people are interested in, in listening to him and watching what he's going to do next. And so, in fact, we'll, we'll go from this passage uh, next week to see Jesus feeding the, the 5,000, this large gathering, which, which uh, was even larger than that, as we'll see. But this... Um, both of these ideas go to show that God is, is orchestrating history. He's orchestrating this news about Jesus to kind of come together in his perfect timing. And some will be threatened by his popularity, and so they'll sabotage or they'll seek to sabotage his ministry, um, while others are drawn to follow him. Um, so the message of the kingdom is continuing to drive deeper into this culture um, where it will eventually crescendo on the day of Pentecost, right? After the resurrection, uh, they'll, the disciples will gather together waiting for the Spirit uh, to come. And then there will be this, this great uh, awakening, really a revival. Um, so news about what Jesus is doing is, is beginning to spread, but, but there's still a great deal of confusion about who he is and about what he's doing. Um, so there's theories recorded in this passage that we'll see again repeated in verse 18. Uh, and there's something to that idea that, that Luke's trying to emphasize here is, is who is Jesus to, to anyone who's reading this, right? Who is Jesus to you? Um, why did he come? What is his purpose in your life? So Herod's response will be the antithesis of Peter's response later on in the same chapter. So in verse 18, when Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they have the same response that is described here that Herod understood and, or that Herod had been hearing. Um, we'll see Peter's response is one of faith, but Herod responds with, with doubt. So let's ask the Lord for his help before we read this passage. Heavenly Father, we thank you that even in a, in a short passage like this that's dealing with with one who is, is doubting that we can be challenged in our own faith, uh, that we can grow deeper in a, a, a desire to know more about you and to know you rightly, to not be confused, to not be filled with, with um, 
with so many distractions or tempted to follow uh, different philosophies. Lord, we have your revelation, your perfect revelation in your word given to us and, and help us to to be content, to be satisfied there, to delight, to read your word, to, to know more about this Savior that you sent. Lord, do that even now in our hearts. Stir in us a desire to know Christ and to know him rightly and to respond in, in worship and adoration. So in Christ's name that we ask, amen. So read with me Luke chapter 9, verses 7 through 9. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard that all that was heard about all that was happening and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead by some that Elijah had appeared and by others that one of the prophets of old had arisen Herod said John I beheaded but who is this about whom I hear such things and he sought to see him First thing I want to do is just consider what, what Luke describes in very subtle terms in, in one sentence in this passage. In Matthew and Mark, they go into much greater detail about how John the Baptist um, was killed. Luke is, is subtle about those details. Um, you can look, and we won't turn there, but, but I'll be telling you some of the details as we go along. But it's in Matthew chapter 14, verses 1 through 12, and Mark chapter 6, verses 14 through 29. Those are the parallel accounts. Um, so Herod here confesses to beheading John the Baptist. He says, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? Um, the story surrounding that beheading is what the other gospels go into detail about. And it's helpful, I think, to consider them. So Herod was one of four rulers, one of four regional rulers, um, a tetrarch, right, over a, a various regions of Roman occupation. Um, Herod specifically was the tetrarch of Galilee. We learned that already in chapter 3, verse 1. And John the Baptist rebuked him for taking his brother's wife. So he somehow arranged things so that he could marry his brother's wife, and, and he, John um, immediately rebuked him for that. And there was several other things, but, but Luke is, is really just um, explains all of them as other evil things. That's how he describes it in chapter 3, verse 1. Um, and so Herod was, was known for being, um, for being cruel, for being selfish and proud and ambitious and... Uh, uh, very focused on his, um, on his own authority, right, and trying to hold on to that. Um, and, he, and in fact, some of this has, has an effect here because when, when, he began to, when he imprisoned John, which clearly it seems he was influenced by his wife Herodias because John was criticizing them. So he imprisons John, and yet he doesn't want to... He, it says in... Um, I think it's in Matthew or Mark, one of them, he says that he wants to kill him, and yet he's afraid that because the people think he's a prophet. And so he doesn't want there to be even any greater tension. He's already built enough tension between him and the Jews, and so he doesn't want that to increase. <coughs> so Herod has, um, has thrown John into prison in chapter 3, verse 20, and clearly that was not a pleasant experience for John. He sends messengers, which we read in chapter 7, verses 18 through 23, who 
where John says, question Jesus about whether or not he's the Messiah. And although John had already testified who Jesus was in chapter 3, verses 4 through 22 at his baptism, he knew who Jesus was. Clearly, there was some frustration, though, that he was still languishing in prison, right? that Jesus had left him there. And so in, in, in response, Jesus assures him, yes, I'm doing exactly what God has, what my father has called me to do, right? I'm healing the sick. I'm, I'm, I'm giving sight to the blind. I'm casting out demons. He's fulfilling the prophecies that the Messiah was intended to fulfill. Um, and yet it, it, it doesn't compute for John because John wants there to be this political reign, right? This political rule under Jesus. Um, but that's clearly not on Jesus's agenda, in his first coming. Um, but hopefully his answer gave John some comfort and some confidence that, yes, uh, regardless of what happens to you in prison, God is faithful. I, I, I am the Messiah, and he is saving his people. Um, because what happens on Herod's birthday is Herodias's daughter ends up dancing for them. It doesn't say who set this up, whether she just, you know, um, asked if they would like to be entertained by that or, or if, his, if her mother encouraged her to do this or if Herod himself asked her to. But she ends up dancing for the party and it impresses Herod so much that he promises to give her whatever she asks for. And so she's not, oh, not sure what she wants. And so she talks to her mom, Herodias, who tells her, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. So that is what she um, requests of Herod. Now, Herod was conflicted about John, as, as I've said. Herod had wanted to put him to death. It's in Matthew chapter 14. Um, but he knew that killing him would create more tension with the Jews. And he was also aware, it says in Mark chapter 6, verse 20, that he, was, he knew that John was a righteous and holy man, right? And so he, he had some awareness that if I kill this righteous and holy man, something bad is going to happen to me, right? And so he, he feared doing any harm to him because of that. There's, you can see there's this kind of conflicting tension in him that, that comes from several different angles. He, he wanted to kill him, but he was afraid of the people. He also didn't want to kill him because he knew he was a holy and righteous man. So there's a spiritual component. There's also just a simple political means that he wants to preserve uh, peace among the people that he's ruling. Um, and then also we learn in, in Mark chapter 6, verse 20, that, that he liked to listen to John's teaching. I found that one the most fascinating of all, that he, he in, enjoyed listening. He, he was perplexed by John. He didn't understand everything he was saying, but, but he was intrigued, and he wanted to hear more. And so it was like I, I, he wanted to preserve this man as long as he could because he enjoyed hearing from him. And of course, all of this adds up to him being sorry that he has to kill him in Mark chapter 14. Now, has to kill him because of the promise that he made to his, um, to his daughter, his wife's daughter. So I want to take from, from that outline or from that context now and understand something about the, the conflicted interests of Herod. Um, all of those details inform this very brief parenthesis from Luke. 
Herod's perplexity seems to primarily stem, especially when you look at the parallel accounts in Matthew and Mark, it, it seems to primarily stem from his fear that John the Baptist had risen from the dead and that now he's got some supernatural strength. That Jesus, because John, it never record, none of the gospels record John performing miracles. So now it, this, this theory that this is John the Baptist um, resurrected, come back to life, is, 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 you know, the miracles that he's performing and doing, um, it, it, the people are, are assuming that he's kind of come back as a, as a supernatural being. And for Herod, that terrifies him, right? He's fearful. Uh, Herod was intrigued enough that he wanted or he sought to see him. Now, Luke is the only one who tells us about that, that he actually sought to see him. We don't know how long he sought to see him. Was it a couple hours? Was it a couple of days, weeks? We know it, it, it was probably something in the back of his mind anytime he heard about Jesus, um, because by the end of the gospel, we'll see that Herod does have the chance to meet Jesus. And in fact, it says that he's glad to meet him that he's, he's sort of anticipating this encounter with Jesus, and it's recorded there in um, chapter 23. But he's intrigued enough that he wanted to see him, and so all the other views are dismissed. There's the view about him being Elijah. Well, that comes from Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Now, Luke has already told us that that, that was fulfilled uh, by John the Baptist, right? And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. This is the birth of John the Baptist being foretold. Okay, so we already know that that, that prophecy of Malachi is fulfilled by John the Baptist, but many were wondering about whether Jesus was a fulfillment of, of that prophecy. And so they thought maybe Jesus is Elijah, um, in fact, Jesus clarifies this in the Gospel of Mark. Um, Mark chapter 9, verses 11 and 13. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it, and how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come. And they did to him whatever they pleased as it is written of him. So Jesus also, of course, has, has been teaching that John the Baptist was the one who came in the spirit of Elijah. All right, but these aren't the ones that, that really interest Herod, it would seem. And the idea that Jesus was some other prophet um, is also not explained. Herod's interest in Jesus is realized at the end of the gospel where he's glad to see him when Pilate actually sends Jesus to him. He finds out that Jesus is from Galilee. He says, hey, well, Herod's the Tetrarch of Galilee. I need to send Jesus to him. In fact, that's the proper thing for me to do. So Herod meets him, and yet Jesus refuses to answer any of the questions that Herod had. And so in the matter of one conversation, that interest that Herod had been stoking and, and possibly had been settled in the back of his mind for, for a, a long period, for several years probably, um, is, is turned in a moment. He goes from questioning Jesus about who he is to mocking him. In fact, in joining in with his soldiers to mock him, to send him back dressed up as a, as a fake king. Right? They mistreat him, Luke says 
So we'll look at that, obviously, in the next five years when we finally get to Luke 23 in this sermon series. We'll learn more about that. So I don't want to ruin it for you. Let's let that anticipation build. But the point is, Herod is a very fickle ruler. He's very fickle. He, he's got so many different emotions and, and, and ideas coming at him, and he's just kind of taking whatever one fancies him at the time. And his, his religious curiosity lasts for very brief moments, it would seem, uh, before giving away to those baser qualities of pride and cruel ambition. And, and I think there's some things for us to, to learn from this example. Right? First of all, fascination with the things of God or fascination with maybe the latest news, whether it's even outside of the church or inside the church, it, it never really tends to have that lasting impact in our lives. It's never really compelling enough to, to transform us. Right? Uh, the news um, about Jesus gave Herod an, an impetus to seek him out, but yet he doesn't actually do so, or he doesn't finally meet him until several years later. Uh, and that short-lived interest in the gospel, I think, revealed a very shallow understanding of God and a hollow faith. And that is an example for our time, is it not? Of, of, of those who have a very brief, short period of interest, maybe even on a regular basis, <laughs> right? Where there, there's some interest in the things of God, but it's very short-lived and it doesn't have any long-term impact and it doesn't change the way they live um, day in and day out. It does reveal a shallow understanding and a hollow faith. And I think all of us are challenged to, to pray um, about this. I, I, just praying a prayer to crusade um, and then carrying on as if nothing happened the next day doesn't save you. Uh, news about Jesus... Um, there, there needs to be an, an ongoing impact and an ongoing interest in the things of God. I, I think this perspective from, from Herod is probably duplicated by many that were in the crowd that he fed, the 5,000 in the very next passage. This is sort of an example of, of the options, right, of, of those who receive him and those who reject him or those who have a very short-lived interest in him. Um, brief and, and marginal participation in kingdom work is ultimately worthless. Right? It's ultimately condemning. Um, you do have to persevere. You have to go beyond that initial interest. Um, there is a, a cost to following Jesus. Right? That includes giving our lives to him, sacrificing for him. Christ uh, or, or Christianity is, is not something that you can just kind of develop on the side not just a side hobby. You won't survive by simply participating in it one hour a week. And it involves a daily giving of ourselves to Christ. If the gospel has, has piqued your interest, don't let that fade. Right? Don't stop with just, that was interesting. Maybe the next time someone reminds me about him, I'll, I'll think about it again. I would encourage you to, to continue to pursue that interest. Follow up with, with your parents, kids. Or follow up with someone that you know can, can help you. Um, go to God in prayer 
even, even now, one of the things that I, that I grew up with was sort of this idea that as you're listening to someone preach, <clears throat> you should be paying attention, and then, and then they can kind of give you an assignment that you go home and apply, right? that you've got that assignment. Now they say, take, take that and think about it at home. I want you to think about that right now, and right? I don't want you to wait. Let the Spirit of God work through His Word even now to, to continue to stir up these questions, these interests in the things of God. Keep pursuing Him day after day. And, and here's the thing, if you do happen to be in prayer and you do happen to, to say, Lord, show me more of Yourself, your task isn't done when you say amen. Right? It, it, it's an ongoing thing. It's a lifestyle. We, we are to be uh, continuing daily in prayer. And the, the blessing in that is that it will be a journey that we enjoy for all eternity, right, to be in fellowship with God. And so I conclude with, with this. Many people end their interest in Jesus shortly after their search began. Uh, I've seen it happen in, in the lives of friends. I've seen an interest peaked and stoked for a very brief moment, and then that flame or that fire fizzles the very next day. Uh, our days are filled with a thousand alternatives that we could be focused on. Our minds are filled with countless competing thoughts. And so think about Herod here. All of the wealth and authority in Rome that he possessed couldn't assuage his conscience. He was filled with fear about what he had done. And Christ could have cleansed it, but he, he didn't get what he wanted right away, and so he, he turned against him. He did not continue to pursue him. And so if your interest in Jesus Christ isn't spirit rod, isn't, isn't something that the Holy Spirit is drawing you to him, then it will be nothing more than skin deep. It will not last. And so we do need to evaluate ourselves to see if we're in the faith. Has the gospel reached your heart? Is the gospel transforming the way you think and act? Because if it isn't, you really aren't any better off than Herod. And he's an example of what not to do. Right? When we get to, to Peter, we'll see the example of one who's given his life to him and yet still falls as well later on. So it's not to say that we should be perfect, that, that we, we will still be filled with this proneness to doubt and wander, but but there is an ongoing interest where the Spirit is dwelling. And so that is why we need the Holy Spirit, right? He begins the work, he sustains the work, he completes the work of salvation. And that's, that's where the, the confession takes us. In the 10th chapter of the Westminster Confession on Effectual Calling, it says, those God predestined, in fact, I'm just paraphrasing it, the, those God predestined, he effectually called by his word and spirit is by his word and spirit. It's not just hearing the content of the gospel, but it's the spirit-empowered hearing, right? It's the listening with spiritual influence. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 14 says, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth. And so by the Spirit and faith in, in what is being proclaimed, to this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And there's so many other scripture references that you could look to to, to point to that truth, and, and you can find it in the confession, the, the scripture proofs. But he rescues them. He rescues them out of a state of sin and death, and he brings them into a state of grace and salvation by faith um, through his son, Jesus Christ. So God enlightens our minds so that we're spiritually and savingly able to understand the things of God. And then it concludes, that chapter, or that first section of chapter 10 concludes with this idea of receiving a new heart and receiving renewed wills. That's the transformation that, that, that I'm talking about, that, that our desires change um, so that we actually desire what is good and pleasing to God, first and foremost being Jesus Christ. We want more of him. And so let us express our interest in Jesus with that spirit-wrought faith um, as we respond to God's word by continuing to, to worship him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this.